he's got a three iron, Bob. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Rockers, welcome back to Extra Credit, the Rock You podcast. I'm your co-host, Seth Hinckley, sitting here with the Dave Matthews to my Carter Beaufort, (laughs) Becky's husband, Matt Black. What's going on, Matt? Not much, Seth. It was great to see you in person last time we did this podcast. That was a lot of fun. It was. And now we're back virtual on the internet. That's right. I'm still getting used to seeing you about three inches high in a little two-dimensional box on my screen, but I'll do my best. <laughs> All right. So what are we doing today? Well, oh, Seth- or Or maybe I should start out with what are you wearing today? <laughs> I am wearing my David Bowie t-shirt. I forget which one of his many characters this one is. I believe I wore this t-shirt for our Story Songs episode. I'm not 100% sure. I think it's not my first time wearing it on the podcast. This is after okay. all episode, what, 36? What are we on to? 37, I think. Oof, man, who knows? When you lose count, that's a that's a good sign. <laughs> yeah, that means we've done a few of these. And what are you wearing, Seth? I'm wearing my Beatles t-shirt. Nice! I'm pulling a mat wearing yeah. my Beatles t-shirt. Yeah, So I got, uh, I got three, but all right, that's all good. <laughs> I only have one, but it comes in handy when you need it. Yeah, for sure. All right, so what's our uh, topic today? Well, Seth, at the end of last season, at the end of season two, we did a podcast on top five songs that get you fired up. And we actually got a listener suggestion from my mom to do top five songs <laughs> that chill you out. And you might hear more about her specific suggestion in our second segment when we do a little feedback. Sweet. So this is top five okay. songs to chill you out. Calm you down. Yeah. I have reason to believe that this episode will drop on Thanksgiving Day, when many of you listeners will be consuming turkey and absorbing tryptophan and a whole lot of carbs into your system. <laughs> so if you need a little help just drifting off into Sandman territory, just listen to the songs on this podcast, and you might just fall asleep and wake up three hours later, yep. and the Lions have lost 50 points. But no, no, that's not going to happen. The Lions are good this year. <laughs> Songs of tryptophan, songs the that tryptophan calm you down. The tryptophan episode, we're calling this one, yeah. So call musical tryptophan. It's not a bad band name. Musical, tr- musical <laughs> tryptophan. I snored through their entire set. It was amazing. <laughs> it was great. I loved it, man. It was so groovy. All right, criteria, because we. This is one that we actually had a little more of a discussion about than we normally do. A tiny bit so, more. A tiny bit more. Yeah. Not like, a lot. Like two or three points. Yeah. But I'm going to let you give your criteria and then I'll see how close I got after our text discussion or right, whatever right. it was that we talked about. Well, what we discussed before we made our list, or at least before we are, we haven't shared our list with each other yet, but before we recorded, is we discussed that there are a lot of songs that are considered rock songs or no one questions the fact that they're rock songs simply because they were released by rock bands. But in no musical universe are they rock songs. Songs like Yesterday or Blackbird by the Beatles. Songs by like Landslide okay. by Fleetwood Mac. And so I challenged myself, and then I threw this out to you and you were willing to go along with this. I challenged myself to find rock songs that chilled me out, but still recognizably rock songs, not simply by rock bands. So songs with rock drums with a backbeat, not using jazz brushes necessarily on the drums, songs with electric bass, songs with electric guitars, with a recognizable rock form, not limiting ourselves only to pure rock. So anything like soul or R&B or hip hop could or country could, could be included in that too, if it has enough rock in it, but not 
cheating by picking songs that rock bands release that actually don't resemble rock songs at all. So not just straight acoustic guitar. Exactly. Not straight yeah. synthesizer. Yeah. Yeah. The thing that I focused on being the drummer was that they actually have drums, they yeah. usually have a backbeat, that they've got either guitars or keyboards, definitely have a bass, and yep. they have to be calming. Well, and and you know, we said songs that chill you out and I realized that can go a bunch of different ways. Sometimes chilled out means you feel good and you feel groovy. Other times you might feel sleepy. Other times you might feel melancholy. I didn't necessarily make a distinction between the ways you could feel chilled out and my songs might reflect that, but definitely calming. So, I think we're mm-hmm. ready to go. You got an over under? The over under. Um I'm, I'm going to put it at one and a half. And I'm going to take the under. I'll take the under also. Okay. I'm not expecting a huge overlap. There were so many songs. Yeah, there were a ton. I'm, I think maybe one off my list has we'll a possibility of making yours, but I'm we'll not see. sure that it did. All right. All right who's going who's first? Going first? <laughs> this, is the, the, this is the beauty of internet latency. We can ask the same question of each other at the same time. <laughs> Nobody really exactly. knows who asked it first. <laughs> Why don't you go first? Okay, I will. Well, Seth, I'm sorry to confess that I broke my own rule right off the bat with my first song. <laughs> Only because it does have brushes. It does have brushes on the drums. But, 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 but it, it's definitely Bru- still... Re- you broke it, the brush It's rule? recognizably a rock song, and it's by a very hard rock artist when he wants to be. And my first song is Harvest okay. Moon by Neil Young. Okay. This is about as chill yeah. as you can get. Now, Neil Young made an acoustic album in 1972 called Harvest. And about 20 years later, he was recovering from uh, another, probably another, I'm saying another, but he's recovering from a bout of tinnitus. Tinnitus is for our British listeners and our American <laughs> listeners might call it tinnitus, but it's been pounded into my head here. Got to call it tinnitus. Anyway, so he made another <laughs> album called Harvest Moon. This is 20 years after Harvest, featuring some of the yeah. same musicians, including some famous session musicians like Spooner Oldham, who's a very famous keyboard player, organ player, who was part of the Muscle Shoals um, uh, The Swampers. Session, no, the Swampers was from across town. Actually, but the Muscle Shoals Sound Studio was on one end of town, and I can't remember the name of the other oh. studio, also in Muscle Shoals, Alabama, and that's where the Swampers were. Yeah, and then Kenny Buttry, who uh, just a little piece of trivia you might remember from our discussion of Lay Lady Lay, which I think I featured as one of the bad song by a great artist. He's the guy who was the drummer on that, and he had to switch back and forth between the drum kit and the the bongos, which were being held in the hands of. Remember? Oh, I Chris Christopherson, who was the janitor. Christopherson, <laughs> yeah. In any case, uh, back to Harvest Moon. It's the title track on the album, Harvest Moon. It's a song written for his wife, uh, celebrating their long relationship. It's relaxed, soothing, tender. Linda Ronstadt is on backing vocals. And the yeah. riff... Neil Young is just a master at making a simple riff that just carries a song. And this riff is just this repeated pattern. It's almost hypnotic. It's got a beautiful quality to it. It doesn't overwhelm you, but it doesn't bore you either. I don't have much more to say about it. Harvest Moon by Neil Young is my number five track to chill you out on the Tryptophan episode. That's a good choice. Oh, uh, thank you. What's your number five? My number five, I hope I don't butcher the name of this song. It's Satyam Shivam Sundaram, the Govinda remix by Thievery Corporation. Bless you. And it's on... Yeah, and it's on the AOL Music DJ Sessions uh, record from 2006. I don't know this track. This track is... It's a weird off track. If you're not a fan of Thievery Corporation, you're never going to have heard it. 
It's a remix of the original version of the song that's found on Thievery Corporation's album, The Cosmic Game, that came out in 2005. The group is two guys from Washington, D.C., Rob Garza and Eric Hilton, and they wanted to start mixing the music that they liked, which included dub, acid, jazz, reggae, Indian classical, (laughs) Middle Eastern music, hip-hop, and Brazilian music that includes bossa nova. So they started their own record label, 18th Street Lounge Music, which was named after the lounge that Eric Hilton (laughs) co-owns. This remix was done by an Austin, Texas artist, Govinda, which is just the project of multi-instrumentalist and composer Shane O. Madden. So Shane comes in and blends elements of classical Indian and Asian music with drum and bass and some trip-hop inspired beats. And it makes this super chill song that I just absolutely love. Cool. This reinterpretation of the original song meshes both Thievery Corporation and Govinda's interest in Indian music while it's weaving in modern synth lines and backbeat rhythms for a really calm song that's still kind of danceable. Cool. I like this song so much, I've used the uh, the first little bit of it as the ringtone that I have assigned to my wife in my iPhone nice. so that I know it's her calling. I'm going to try say the name again. My number five is Satyam Shivam Sundaram. The Govinda remix by Thievery Corporation. Works for me, man. (laughs) What's your number four? My number four is a little bit newer than Harvest Moon. My number four is Amoeba by Claro. Have you heard of Claro? I have not. She's a pretty popular young artist, but she's only 25. She's only put out two albums, uh, but she has been around for about six years now. The launch of her career was so successful that a lot of people accused her of being an industry plant. I don't know how that would work. It's like you pick a random person and you you know they're going to be a star. I don't think it works that way, people. But in any case... Well, was she on TikTok or something like that? Uh, not that I know of. It's certainly possible. Okay. But people basically said she's not really a, a young, self-starting musician. She's just a creation of the record label. Nope, she's real. Ah. Her second album, (laughs) Sling, is largely inspired by her dog named Joni, and it's been described as, these are some interesting adjectives to, to describe pop music. It's been described as vintage pop, baroque pop, chamber folk. When you listen to it, you what? may hear you may hear where this is coming from, and it's got a okay. noticeable Laurel Canyon influence. Laurel Canyon is the famous community of musicians in the '70s: the Eagles, Jackson Brown, Linda Ronstadt, so oh, on. Yeah. And you can hear it; it's chill. It's really chill. And this is a top five list of chill songs. She wrote much of this album with Jack Antonoff, who's a pretty well-known producer. He's worked with Taylor Swift in the 1975 Lord, St. Vincent, Florence and the Machine, Lana Del Rey. Fifth Harmony, Kevin Abstract is what I wrote. I don't know who that is. You might have to edit that part out. (laughs) Carly Rae Jepsen, (laughs) The Chicks, Tegan and Sarah, so forth. But his name pops up all over pop music these days. The lyrics are interesting, but the song reflects her ambivalence about her drive to write and record music while neglecting her family while neglecting her personal life, maybe social ties, not wanting to hang out with people at parties because she wants to go back in the studio and finish a track she's worked on. But she's truly ambivalent about it. On the one hand, she's kind of like, oh, this is bad. And the other hand, she says, well, maybe it's not so bad after all. And I think the title Amoeba, while I haven't seen this anyplace, to me, it, it represents this quality of floating and being carried away by her drive 
So as a person, she's right. not in control of her destiny. Her drive to write music is in control of what happens to her. But the music is very much like the idea of an ebb and flow, a tidal pull, if you're an amoeba. The music, is a, it's a very flowing quality, <laughs> very chill. I really love the song. It would not make you sleepy. I would not try to fall asleep to this song. Harvest Moon could probably put you to sleep, but this one wouldn't. Yeah. But it might make you tap your fingers while you're driving, or it might make you bob your head while you're sitting at a desk doing work or whatever. I love the song Amoeba by Claro. Cool. All right. What's your number four? My number four is a song called You Are Mine by Mute Math off their self-titled album from 2006. It's a chill tune with a great drum part by Darren King and some really good falsetto vocal work by Paul Meany. The song was written by the band and a guy named Dave Rumsey who I couldn't really find anything on. That name is really familiar. Unless he's the David Rumsey that collects historical maps, which is the only Dave Rumsey that I found on Google. Let's go um, with no. <laughs> <laughs> I would assume no. The song appears on both versions of their debut album. And if you remember a couple episodes ago, we were talking about Mute Math and how they had an issue with teleprompt records that they originally signed with. And then when Warner Brothers bought Teleprompt, they were having an issue with getting that first record released. Teleprompt issued the record first, I believe, and then Warner Brothers issued it after Teleprompt did. And as a result of that, there were some differences between the records. The Warner Brothers version, this song is cut down by almost 90 seconds. The repetition of the first verse, as well as the choruses that bookend that repetition, were removed from the version that was originally released on Teleprompt Records. So if you get a hold of a Teleprompt version, this song's going to be a minute and a half longer than it is on the version that I think you can find on iTunes and everywhere else that's the Warner Brothers one. I really like the lyrics on this one. The second verse actually says, There are objects of affection that can mesmerize the soul. There is always one addiction that just cannot be controlled. You are mine. You are mine. You are mine, all mine. You are mine. The calmness of this song and the chill version of it, I used to put it on and sing it to CJ when she was a baby and rock her to sleep to it. And the synths in this song sound a little bit like the little small bells that you might hear in a children's song. Mm. But the way that they use those bells as an accent is such a great extra little cherry on top for this song. That's my number four, You Are Mine by Mute Math. Cool. All right, man. Number three, what's middle of the road? Number three, I think we were just talking in our last episode about auto-tune, and I was challenged to find an example of an artist who uses auto-tune well, and I came up with Bon Iver. Yeah. And he or they provide my number three song, which is Holocene. Okay. Bon Iver is, it's, technically it's a band, but really it's a guy, Justin Vernon from Wisconsin, who plays and sings himself and uses other musicians to carry out his vision. Their second album is called Bon Iver, and Holocene was the most popular track on it. It's named mm -hmm. both for the geological period we're living in right now, and also for a bar in Portland, Oregon, where he said he had a dark night of the soul. <laughs> and 
<laughs> it's it's another one of these songs with a title ebb and flow. There's no real obvious structure. The chord progression's not really obvious. Uh, it's got beautiful textures in the instruments and the voices, thanks to the auto-tune. And he said that the title was a metaphor for when you're not doing well. I'm quoting him now. But it's also about a song about redemption and realizing that you're worth something, that you're special and not special at the same time. So he described writing the song. He took a walk with his brother, on Christmas night, and it was wintry and icy outside of Eau Claire, Wisconsin. He said this in an interview with, yes, Aaron Rodgers, of all people. So, <laughs> Aaron, yep, that's right, that Aaron Rodgers, since they're both big, you know, Wisconsin the celebrities. Yeah, exactly. They're both big Wisconsin celebrities, so somebody <laughs> decided it would be a good idea for them to interview each other, and sure enough, you can find this 45-minute interview <laughs> on, uh, on YouTube. <laughs> it's actually not bad. They do a good job. Anyway, wow. uh, he said, okay. this, I'm quoting him again, there was nothing for miles and miles, and the air was hanging in such a way with the ice storm kind of going on, and it looked like <sighs> the sheet of ice on the road and this glow of the distant lights of Eau Claire, and it was just, it just really came out. Like at once, I knew I was not magnificent. That's a lyric from the song. You know, and the highway aisles of ice and all that, and it was one of those moments when you're not really sure if you're the creator of something or not, or if you've just been handed something to share. Whatever the song is about, the music and the lyrics are both vague enough that I think you put your own meaning into them, but the music is really powerful while at the same time being very chill. It's a very reflective, contemplative, meditative song. It's a great song to take a walk to, listen on loop, and just have your own thoughts. Um, I will just throw out a little extra mention. The best version of this song is impossible to find. He was on Jimmy Fallon and did a version with The Roots, and it was so amazing. Now, there's two versions. One of them, which is not the one which is so great, you can still find out there. It's all over the place. The other one, I can't figure it out. It seems to have been taken down everywhere. I used to call it up on YouTube or you know some other website and listen to it while I was working and just listen to it on loop. Can't find it anymore. It's gone. I don't know why, and I wish they'd release it as a track. I would buy it, absolutely. Anyway, that's, yeah. that's all I have to say about that. Holocene by Bonnie Vera is my number three. What's your number two? Or are you on three? I'm still on three. Three, okay. What's your three? <laughs> my three is Steady As We Go by the Dave Matthews Band. It's on gotcha. Stand Up, which is from 2005. This song is kind of a departure for Dave and the guys because the main instrument that's used on this one is piano. And the constant, initially quiet drum work from Carter Beaufort is his usual amazingness. You're going to have to turn the volume up and maybe turn the bass up to hear exactly how good the drumming is on this, but it's phenomenal. I don't think he's using brushes. I don't think he's using rods. I think he's using his regular drumsticks. And the fills and stuff he does on the toms are phenomenal. Well, I took a pass on Harvest Moon, so you can have a pass on this one if he's using brushes. It's okay. (laughs) (laughs) So it starts off really calm. You know, this is a really long A section. And then in the B section, the crescendo comes in with the rest of the band with the bass and the horns and the sax, or both saxophones. So there's a tenor and a bass saxophone part on this song. A bass saxophone. Both of them, yeah. Not a, yeah. Not uh, a, not a baritone. Oh, sorry. Baritone. A baritone yeah. saxophone. Bass saxophone uh, is like, it has to be held saxophone. on a stand. It's too big to hold. I've seen it been, being played. Sorry, the, it's a baritone. A baritone. Okay. Yeah, it's a baritone yeah. saxophone. Yeah. Played by the late, great Leroy Moore. Okay. Who sadly passed away... I think this is the last album that he is on the majority, if not all, of the tracks. And there's some guitar that's in the in the B section, which is really, really good. But the thing that really got me about this song, 
other than being amazingly chill and a wonderful song is nobody in the band played the piano or the organ part, which you can hear in the background. Those were all played by the producer, Hmm. Mark Batson. So he's got credit on the record for playing the keys on this one. It's a really great song. For as frenetic as the Dave Matthews Band can get with their jam bandy stuff, this record, the entire album, was recorded with a more pop hit type bent of trying to write the songs. So they're shorter than the normal Dave Matthews Band seven, eight, nine minute songs. And this one is the same. It's it's short like a lot of the rest of the songs on the record. A really well-crafted song, really well put together, and extremely calm for a group that is usually pretty, like I said, frenetic. So that's right. my number three, Steady As We Go. All right, what's number two for you? Number two is from another band that's really just a guy who hires musicians to help him bring his creative vision to your ears. It's by Eels, uh, which is actually uh, Mark Everett, Mark Oliver Everett, and whatever he wants to do with that. And uh, the name of the song is Fresh Feeling. It's from his fourth album called Soul Jacker. It was co-written by Cool G Murder, which is the actual name of Kelly Logsdon. Logsdon, I'm not quite sure who that is. Anyway, Cool G Murder is spelled, by the way, with a K and three O's. So you, just so you get it. Um, cool. It samples another eel song. Uh, there are strings in the song from a eel song called A Selective Memory. And Fresh Feeling is, you know, Holocene is, is melancholy. Fresh Feeling is the opposite. It's just, man, you feel great listening to the song. But it's got that same, like all the other songs I've mentioned, that same sort of hypnotic, repetitive ebb and flow in the chords. Yeah. And uh, even so, it's just three chords. It's really simple. There's a bass line and a synth line, and the drum beat just propels you forward without pushing you too hard. So you're actually kind of rolling almost or flowing. And it's just a happy, happy song. The lyrics are, here's the first verse, you don't have a clue what it is like to be next to you. I'm here to tell you that it is good, that it is true. And here's the chorus. Birds singing a song. Old pain is peeling. This is that fresh, that fresh feeling. Words can't be that strong. My heart is reeling. This is that fresh, that fresh feeling. And that's practically all the lyrics. I think there's one other verse, but it's just a feel-good song where the music will make you feel good, the lyrics will make you feel good, and nothing's getting in the way of that. Fresh Feeling by Eels at my number two spot. Cool. My number two is an older song. I think I'm going backwards in time with my (laughs) list from 2006 to 05. This one's from 1988. It's Under the Milky Way by The Church. Ah, That's a nice one. On the album Starfish. And I think this is the first time we've mentioned The Church on this Mm, podcast. I think I've mentioned Um, Under the Milky Way in an honorable mention someplace. I don't know. I feel like I have. Maybe not. But this is an Aussie rock band that had some success in the U.S. with this album. But they've been huge in Australia since the 80s. I mean, they they were inducted into the Australian Recording Industry Association Hall of Fame in 2010. But being the American that I am, this is the only record that I really recognize by them. The song was written by the bass player and lead vocalist Steve Kilby and his then-girlfriend, Karen Jansen, of the band Curious Yellow that (laughs) I'd never heard of. I've heard of them, but I don't know how. I can't tell you anything about him. According to a press release that was issued with with the album Starfish, the title under the Milky Way is from an Amsterdam music and cultural venue. And I'm going to butcher the Dutch for this, but it's Melkweg, I think, which is Dutch for Milky Way, which is a place that Kilby used to frequent. 
Kill Be Said, the song, is not really about anything at all. I just wanted to create an atmosphere, and I didn't even put a lot of thought into that. History has given it something that it never really had. And then his, I guess, ex-girlfriend? I don't know. I don't know the status of their relationship (laughs) at at present. But she said, it's a very spontaneous thing. It's not as if someone had put us together to write a hit song. It's more like sometimes when we write together, a song comes knocking on the door. So if you're not familiar with this track, it's just, it's a very dreamy sounding song. The music's been described as bright, spacious, and uncluttered, but the band thought it was bare and simplistic in comparison to their previous music. It's just really calming. And then to touch back on one of our previous episodes where we talked about weird instruments in mm-hmm. rock music. Yep. If you remember the song, this it's got a solo that sounds kind of like bagpipes. Yeah, But they're not bagpipes. They're played on a synclavier. Okay. So that's where you get the odd-sounding, almost bagpipey sound. <laughs> Under the Milky Way by the church, I remember listening to this. I had a guy that lived in my dorm in college that used to play this album on repeat over mm. and over again. So It's a good one. Under the Milky Way by the church at number two. Okay. All right. What's the top of your list, man? Uh, Well, I turned up the groove a little on uh, Fresh Feeling. I'm going to crank it all the way to 11 on this one. This is my favorite (laughs) song to play. It's one of my favorite songs to listen. It's the last song the doodads usually play. Not always. It's Let's Get It On by Marvin Gaye. And I said there's a lot of different ways to be chill, and this is definitely one of them. It's not going to put you to sleep. It's not going to put you to sleep. It's not going to make you sad. It's just going to make you feel happy. And uh, this is the title. Yeah, this is the title track of his 13th studio album. It was co-written with producer Ed Townsend. It was released in 1973. The Funk Brothers, which are a famous Motown session crew, we've mentioned the Wrecking Crew right. from LA, and we've mentioned we just mentioned the Muscle Shoals musicians earlier in this episode and in other episodes. The Funk Brothers is basically the third in that you know incredible trio of legendary rock right. session crews. Uh, they play on the track, and you know something? I'd like to break this song down for you because it's not at all what you think it's. No, I'm kidding. It's exactly what you think it's about. (laughs) Let's get it on. You really don't need to say much more than that. I will say that uh, we've talked about the estate of Marvin Gaye suing Pharrell Williams and Robin Thicke over uh, Blurred Lines. Well, the estate of Ed Townsend sued Ed Sheeran for copying the groove and the chord progression of Let's Get It On on his song Thinking Out Loud and failed. And that's an interesting case, which I think we may have even discussed when you did one of your segments on copyright law and yeah, we um, might yeah. have brought that yeah, up because yeah. wasn't that case decided after the Led Zeppelin case? I was? can't. I honestly don't remember because if you, it if it's it, recent, because yeah. if it was, yeah. then the yeah. the change in the law would have applied. Yeah, yeah. In any case, it does sound a lot like it. But hey, as many uh, YouTubers have pointed out, there's only so many elements in music, especially R and B, that you can use over and over again, and doesn't necessarily mean you've copied the yeah. song. It, those are standard elements. It's just a great song. It's mostly a four chord loop. All the parts are great. Everybody's laid back. You can just hear how into it you know Marvin is when he's singing it and I, I can only imagine what it must have been like to be in the room I hope the object of his affection whoever he was talking to was in the room there too because otherwise it's like wow how, where'd you pull that out <laughs> it's a yeah. pretty amazing performance on all levels so let's get it on is my number one song that chills me out what's your number cool. one my number one is my shirt. It's okay. Here Comes the Sun Aww. by the Beatles on nice Abbey one. Road in 1969. Aww. Yeah. I'm chilled out just thinking about it. <laughs> yeah. 
It's an absolute genius of a song written by George Harrison. I know that we've probably talked a lot about this song before, but I think I pulled up some stuff that we haven't gone over yet. He wrote it while hiding out at Eric Clapton's house so that he could miss a meeting of the Beatles multimedia (laughs) company, Apple Corps Limited. Yep. In his autobiography, he says... Here Comes the Sun was written at the time when Apple was getting like school, where we had to go and be businessmen. Sign this and sign that. Anyway, it seems as if winter in England goes on forever, and by the time the spring comes, you really deserve it. So one day, I decided I was going to sag off Apple, and I went over to Eric Clapton's (laughs) house. The relief of not having to go see all those dopey accountants was wonderful, and I walked around the garden with one of Eric's acoustic guitars and wrote, Here Comes the Sun. That's funny. In a later interview, he recalled that due to the many business meetings, he hadn't played guitar for like a couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. And he said, and the first thing that came out was that song. Hmm. Along with Harrison's acoustic guitar, the track features a Moog synthesizer. I'm bringing that up because of my dear friend, Mark, who is a complete synthesizer geek. And George Harrison had introduced it to the band Sound after acquiring a really early model of the instrument in California. And the other cool thing about this song is it's got some great time changes in it. The song's in 4-4 in the verse, but then there's a sequence of 11-8 and then 4-4 and then 7-8. Or if you really want to, you can count it as 11-8 and then 15-8 in the bridge. And the rhythm phrasing is something that George Harrison picked up from his experience with Indian music, because it's something that is used typically in Indian music. So Walter Everett, who's a musicologist, in his view, he says the lyrics over the bridge where he sings, sun, 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 here it comes, takes on the quality of a meditator's mantra. Again, the Indian influence. This song, it's an amazing tune, and evidently there are a whole lot of people who agree with me. In May of 2023, it became the Beatles' first song to surpass 1 billion plays on Spotify. Wow. And if I have my facts correct, which I think I do, it's the most played Beatles song of all time. Whoa! All right, we'll have to look, we'll have to fact check that one. I would have said "Hey Jude" or uh, well, hey, I would definitely would have said well, "Hey Jude," which is their most commercially successful song, but doesn't mean it's the most played. The streaming could be different. Yeah, yeah. yeah so cool. the the plays and streams. I think I think here comes the sun's the winner. Wow! And one of the reasons it's a winner for me is it was my mom's favorite Beatles oh, song. Oh, nice. All right, man. Okay. I know you, and I know you've got some honorable mentions on this one that didn't make your list. I just might, yeah. <laughs> Although, interestingly enough, on the day you wear a Beatles shirt, I, this could be my first ever list without a single Beatles song on it. I don't know. I don't think it is. Probably there's been a few others, but no Beatles really? on this one. Yeah, yeah. All right, you wow. ready? You ready for that's mine? A, that's a huge surprise. Yeah, it is, it is. Yeah, hit Well, me. that's because a lot hit of their chill it. songs don't, don't fit my criteria. I will and good night like blackbird and blackbird yeah. and yesterday and Eleanor Rigby and a whole bunch of things that don't that didn't work for you know making it an actual rock song but here's what right. I got so first of all I got a bunch that I've used before on other lists I always try to spread the wealth yeah um, so leave the door open by Silk Sonic which is the project of Bruno Mars and Anderson Pack oh, everything by them is chill right Boys of Summer by Don Hanley we discussed Almost Blue by Elvis Costello and the attractions we discussed and one that was on one of your lists at least once if not twice is Don't Give Up by Peter Gabriel those are four that have have already right. made their appearances yeah. in the top five. A few others 
Again, I'm going to just run through them. Uh, Pink Rabbits by The National always chills me out. The Way It Is by Bruce Hornsby, despite the fact that the lyrical content is definitely not chilly, chill. Uh, right. I just yeah. found the, find the piano part really relaxing. Gravity by John Mayer. Two songs by Coldplay. Yeah. Trouble and the Scientist are both really chill. Two songs by Fleetwood Mac, uh, one of which you and I were just discussing the other day, Dreams and Sarah, which, you know, I, I, know, yeah. I know that's one for you. Uh, a couple older Sarah's songs. Sarah's actually on my list, yeah. too. Yeah, a uh, couple older songs. Sitting on the dock of the bay by Otis Redding. Lovely day by Bill Withers are both really relaxing to me. A song by Radiohead, which could be unsettling, but I just find it relaxing, is "Weird Fishes Arpeggi," which is just another one of these cyclical tidal ebb and flow songs where you just get carried away by the repetitive pattern. And then a song yeah. I just discovered, and I have no idea who this person is or where I found out about it, but a song by an artist named Kate Bollinger, and the song is called "Yards Gardens." I don't know how I discovered it. It just popped into my playlist one day. It's been on the road ever since. It's very relaxing. Without picking specific songs, I just want to throw a word at a couple of artists who I find a large number of songs in their catalogs are right. uh, are very chill. Lana Del Rey, obviously. Mm-hmm. Billie Eilish, the most recent album only, Happier Than Ever. Sufjan Stevens, Chardet, a classic. War Paint. I have been banging the drum for War Paint on this podcast for a long yeah. time. They, a lot of their songs are really chill. Kings of Convenience, which is an, which is an acoustic guitar duo, so they, they couldn't have made it into my list anyway. The Cranberries, right. A lot of their songs that aren't angry are very chill. Yes. Cowboy Junkies, same. Arlo Parks, who's a yeah. who's great, who I just saw in concert a couple weeks ago. A band that I don't know where they popped up, but I, I know I found out about this from uh, from one of our students who became a teacher at Rock U. That's Noah Roland Williams. Turned me on to mm-hmm. Sun Lux. Check out Sun Lux. And finally, The Low Anthem, which I've also mentioned on this podcast before because their song, Charlie Darwin, was my number one sad song. So what do you got for your honorable right. mentions? I had Sarah by Fleetwood Mac, like you said. Mad World that I'd already used in the covers episode. Mad World by Gary Jules, that version. Come Away With Me by Nora Jones. The Only Exception by Paramore. Cool. There's an instrumental by Stevie Ray Vaughan called Lenny that was written for his wife. Sure. On the album Texas Flood. If you haven't listened to that, go pull that up. Absolutely. Well, there's two songs. This one's weird because the first way that I experienced this song was when my dad started watching golf tournaments on CBS. (laughs) This was the lead in music. Love's Theme by Barry White. Wow. It's just an instrumental and... It just Nothing reminds me of... White. I can't do it. No, I can't yeah. get that low. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's no, there's no, uh, there's no singing on it. There's, there's no singing on it. Yeah. It's complete and instrumental. It always just led into golf announcers when they're always talking like this, saying, he's got a three iron, Bob. You know, <laughs> uh, which may or may not be chill. I mean, the song's the song's pretty chill, I guess. But I mean, it just reminds me of people whispering like this. That always made me fall asleep on a Saturday or a Sunday afternoon while my dad was watching golf. And then there's one that really doesn't fit the criteria. Okay. But I have it by itself and I've strung it together. It's in about an eight minute song. I put it in Reaper and I strung it out to <laughs> about 30 minutes and it's called Weightless by Marconi Union. And if you ever need to go to sleep, like on a plane or anything like that, put your headphones on, this is the song. 
somebody did a study on it. I forget where I read this on the internet that said this song is like the best song in the world to put you to sleep. <laughs> so if we're doing a song about chill stuff, Weightless by Marconi Union, if the tryptophan didn't get you from the turkey, this song will. And so uh, <laughs> you just reminded me of one I left off. Same same idea is the is intro by the XX, which I've mentioned before. I forget on which list, but so, same thing. Somebody yeah. put a version on YouTube that was five hours long. It's only like a two minute song, but it was looped. So it just kept going and going and yeah. going. It's so relaxing. <laughs> I should have put that one on there too. Have some more turkey and listen to a few of these songs and maybe you'll take a nap. Take a nap on the couch, guys. It's Thanksgiving. You deserve it. <laughs> If you want to listen to the songs that we mentioned on this podcast in their entirety, check out the Spotify playlist that we've got in the show notes to hear them all. All right, kids, we're back, and it's time for some more feedback, time for stuff that we've heard from you guys. And please... Send us something. You can send us your comments in written form or even better in recorded form at podcast at rock-u.fr. That is podcast at rock-u.fr. And we want to hear your comments. As a matter of fact, today's entire episode, which you'll hear soon, is inspired by a listener comment. Yeah, exactly. So send us what you think, whether it's audio or just straight email, and we'll be happy to go through it, and you may end up on a future feedback segment. We hope you will. All right, Matt, you have the earliest I got a, Yeah, feedback. I got a straggler. I got a straggler from episode 25. Uh, off the top okay. of my head, I do not remember what episode that was. I just know that the one-minute matchup was about live versus recorded music experiences. You know, why not? Let's start off our first feedback of season three with Uncle Hiram. Go to it, Uncle Hiram. Uncle Hiram! Uncle Hiram says, So, Matt and Seth, I have been thinking about your episode regarding which is better, the live concert version or the studio one, and an angle popped into my head. I don't recall if this came up, but I feel that the value of hearing the live version is heavily weighted by being there and the atmosphere and excitement you feel. But hearing a recording of a live performance might be, and I dare say often, is not as good, and in many cases, the studio version is much better. Some recordings exist only in the live version, most famously Crossroads by Cream and the Star Spangled Banner by Hendrix. But I would usually prefer to hear the studio cut over a recording from a concert I didn't attend. Just saying. Uncle Hiram, you might be interested to know that this is actually a podcast topic that uh, Seth and I have been contemplating for quite some time. You may just hear it as a future top 10 list or top five plus five equals 10. There you go. So all right, I, I think so, we're jumping ahead to episode 30 now, right? Yeah, Song, so I've got, it was songs that get you fired up. Uh, we did take two and then we did artists with the best look for the one minute matchup. Nick from Houston came back on our one minute matchup and he says this, okay, I think Bowie was an easy choice. I think you guys missed out on the flaming lips, their performances, especially from the soft bulletin and Yoshimi eras were just as much about their visuals as the songs. Having a dozen Santa Claus attired people running in place during Race for the Prize, Wayne Coyne appearing covered in fake blood during The Spark That Bled, more confetti than should be legally allowed, and a video of Jon Stewart introducing She Don't Use Jelly. Joyous, visually stunning, amazing. Wow. Okay, Nick. Okay. Point well taken. Yeah, yeah. I'm still going <laughs> to stick with Bowie, but. Yeah. That's pretty impressive. Good point. Yeah. You got any more from that? No, that was all I had from I got a bunch. 30. I got a what bunch. What do you got? So okay. First, this Go one's from Birch. That must be a reference to wood of some kind. I'm not quite sure. No, just kidding. It's from John Burcham. 
from Milford, Connecticut, <laughs> who says, this was a phenomenal subject for your pod. I enjoy all of your podcasts, but this was one was awesome for a music novice like me. And he says, two classics, uh, fire me up songs from ACDC, Thunderstruck and Hell's Bells. Yeah, you can't go wrong with ACDC, Birch. Right. <laughs> it's always going to be something that gets your blood moving, your, your, your legs pumping. We have one here from Other Other Phil. He's been a, a regular podcast contributor to the feedback uh, segment. So many songs could be added, he says. Spirit of Radio by Rush. Sinner Swing by Van Halen. Crazy Train by Ozzy. Yeah. Cult of Personality by Living Color. Superhero by Jane's Addiction. He's right up your alley here, Seth. This is a. Uh, yeah, he totally is. Yeah, yeah. Can I sub out my honorable mentions? <laughs> To other other Phil and sure. then maybe sure, cherry, cherry pick yeah. my top five yeah. out of other other Phil's list. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uncle Harm's back. We referred to Woo! our episode twenty seven in the take two segment of episode thirty, and Uncle Harm jumped in with two comments. He said, first of all, in the episode about Anglophone singing in other languages, the Clash's song about the Spanish Civil War is mentioned as perhaps the only rock song on that topic. I believe On the Border by Al Stewart is also about that war. Now, you might say Al Stewart hmm. is much more pop than rock, but then many people make the same statement about much of the Beatles music from the midpoint of their career as a band. Totally agree. He also says, and this refers to the Beatles comment and also something we discussed in another segment, he says, I like danger as a definition of rock and roll. I was once <laughs> discussing the differences between bubblegum music, jazz, and rock and roll with a friend at work. And in some, bubblegum music is safely back on the handle of the knife, whereas jazz and rock and roll are on the blade. For jazz, the blade is smooth, but sharp and dangerous. And for rock and roll, it's jagged with burrs, but just as sharp and dangerous. Good one, hi. I like that. <laughs> uh, now I've got a fairly lengthy comment, and this is where the topic of for this episode comes from. This is from my mom, Hallie in Chicago. Hi, mom. Yeah, <laughs> hi, mom. It says, music is a fantastic way to fire people up. That's why armed forces have bands. It's not just for marching, but music also, of course, soothes. I have a special playlist for medical procedures. After decades of experimenting, I find that classical is no good, but it is too good. I actually don't know what that means, Mom. Oh, nothing but vocals because you stay alert to words. The best is warm, chromatic piano jazz. And then she gives some examples, which I'll skip over, but she says, what would be your top five to lower your blood pressure, not pump it up? See, Mom, you say I never listen to you, and here we are. We did an episode <laughs> at your suggestion on top five songs to lower your blood pressure. She also goes on to say, hospitals now offer to play music while you're having an MRI. A great idea in theory, but useless in practice when you're shut up in a tube with all that knocking in your ears. There we go. Yeah. That's episode 30. You got anything for episode 31? I do. Episode 31 was top five TV and movie theme songs. And Nick from Houston comes back in and says, can we please be honest about Lieber and Stoller? <laughs> they definitely stole many of the songs they claimed to write. Big Mama Thornton obviously wrote Hound Dog. They just transcribed it and put their name on it. Why? Because they understood the newly minted licensing rights and royalties, and most performers back then didn't. Same thing happened in Motown, Nashville, etc. Producers stole the credit for writing a song and got incredibly wealthy while the performers scraped by, especially performers of color. Yeah, sadly, that was probably the case more often than not. Definitely the case more often than not, but I have no specific knowledge about Lieber and Stoller. I'm going to have to do a deep dive into this one. Maybe this one's a, a topic for a future segment, Seth. You up Could for that? Be. Our Could legal be. scholar? Maybe. Yeah. We'll have to take a look. Yeah. See I, what the evidence actually shows, if I, there is any. I am willing to be open to the truth. That's not something I'd ever heard before. <laughs> well, not about Lieber and Stoller anyway. Certainly about plenty of other yeah. plenty of other artists or writers. So That's all I've got for episode 31. What do oh, you have? Okay, let's go back to mom. Mom's got the following comment to make. <laughs> 
about remastered albums in this audio clip. Hey, Matt and Seth. Hallie from Chicago here with a comment on the episode 31 one-minute matchup about remastering. It reminded me of an anecdote I read, I think, in David Byrne's book, How Music Works. He described how early recording techniques strove to provide an exact replica of a live performance, warts and all. But as recording and editing techniques improved, the goal became to provide a perfect performance. That put tremendous pressure on live performances. So one day, a pianist recording a sonata demanded take after take after take every time he made a mistake. When the sound engineer finished slicing and dicing and splicing and played the recording back, the pianist was thrilled and exclaimed how great it sounded. Yes, the engineer is supposed to have replied, don't you wish you could play like that? Keep up the good work. All right. Thanks, Mom. All got, right. Got one from Ryan, a regular podcast contributor or feedback contributor. Ryan! Ryan, Ryan says, consider adding to Sir With Love to your honorable mention list for top TV and movie theme songs. It might be a touch too old to be on your radar. It was barely on mine, but it's one a teacher should know. I think guess he's talking to me. It's from the 1967 yeah. British movie of the same name starring Sidney Poitier. The original and definitive version is by the British singer Lulu, who also played one of the characters in yep. the movie. According to Wikipedia, the song spent five weeks at number one on the Billboard Hot 100 in the U.S. was number one for the year, which is interesting because it is a sensitive ballad. But I suggest it because it's interesting both lyrically and harmonically. Lyrically, it completely avoids the trite rhyme schemes used in so much pop and instead makes sparing use of the repetitive rhyming that is common today in rap. It is poetic, yet very natural and unforced. Mm. Harmonically, it feels like even if there is not actually a key change, the tonal center shifts around, starting in A, passing through C-sharp minor, arriving at B, then back to A, without you really being aware there's something going on. Well worth a listen, even if it won't get your adrenaline flowing. Good deal. And I got one more. We debated, I guess it was in this episode, uh, which was more significant, music or lyrics. Another regular feedback contributor, Bruce from Mil- from Hamden, Connecticut, shared uh, the, lyrics, the lyrics to the song Hook by Blues Traveler, which I'd never paid any attention to the lyrics. Yeah, as, me as, either. Since I don't do that. Typically. I usually do. <laughs> yeah. I usually do, and, but and, I didn't do that one. And check out, the, check out the first verse and chorus, and there's more in the rest of the song, but it doesn't matter what I say, so long as I sing with inflection. That makes you feel I'll convey some inner truth or vast reflection, but I've said nothing so far, and I can keep it up for as long as it takes, and it don't matter who you are. If I'm doing my job, then it's your resolve that breaks, because the hook brings you back. I ain't telling you no lie. The hook brings you back. On that, you can rely. That's a great example. That's amazing. <laughs> that you and I both know that song We're like pretty well. We could you know jam along to it on the radio, but had no idea that's what he was talking about. I mean, look at that. It's worth checking out all the lyrics, but but uh, that's a that's a great yeah. segment there. All right, episode thirty one. You got anything from episode thirty two? I do. Okay, it was our road trip top songs. five road trip songs. Yeah. I had three separate people. Well, two of them are married. So Mark okay. and Catherine. <laughs> they always listen to the podcast. Thanks together. for listening, guys. But Mark and Catherine from Houston and Rob from Austin both told me that they were listening to this while they were on a road trip. Nice. So bonus points for you guys. Summertime. And then I had my friend Kalora from Houston. I think this was a reference to my choice of a Tom Petty song. She told me, I've always wanted somebody to start a four-piece Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers cover band called the Petty Fours. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. That's really great. I like it. Hopefully, Kalora, somebody will do that. 
How about a uh, a musical project mashing up Tom Petty and Johnny Cash? Be Petty Cash. Petty Cash. <laughs> That's any? all I had for. 32. What okay, do you, I got a couple. Do you have anything else? I got a couple. Uh, another regular contributor and our mutual friend, Mango. Mango! Mango! says He's a deadhead. And he says, I want to hear trucking literally a long, strange trip. Rick, I don't think that song is about what you think that song is about. I don't think that's a road trip. <laughs> <laughs> and he also suggests, instead of songs about driving, what about songs about parking? And you know what? That's actually not a bad idea. Got to stick that one in the ideas bin wow. for another time. Yeah. And then we got Battle of the Phil's, uh, a couple of comments from Other Other Phil and Dr. Other Phil. It's up to you to tell them apart. So Other Other <laughs> Phil was commenting as he was listening. And first he wrote, Holiday Road better be on this list, damn it. And I think, <laughs> I think we left it off or it was an honorable mention. I can't remember. But then yeah. it's okay because you bailed him out. He says, I left my wallet. All is right in the world again. Love me some tribe. But then he's back. There okay, I, I've lost faith again. How did Thunder Road not make it? And I argued that Thunder Road is not about a road trip. It's about an escape. But Dr. Other Phil came right to Other Other Phil's rescue and said, I'd make a case that the whole point of road tripping is to escape. I'm going to let you Phil's battle this one okay. out. Thing, uh, interesting <laughs> set of ideas there. <laughs> Man, I wish at some point that we could get everybody we like should... in a room and just kind of hang out with people and have them kind of heckle us while how we about, do this. How about episode 100? We do a giant Zoom call. And Maybe we could jump do on, that. We'll have a big debate about all this stuff. <laughs> That'd be fun. That'd be fun. What do you got for episode 33? I don't think I have anything for 33. I How got, about you? I got one. Dr. Otherfield is back and he's got a comment. He says, great podcast as usual. Sorry you were losing your partner, at least face to face. I'm going to give you my 80s list of home tunes. Home Sweet Home by Motley Crue. Mama, I'm Coming Home by Ozzy Osbourne. Coming Home, Cinderella. Yep. I'll also throw in Blind Faith's Can't Find My Way Home. Sam Cooke's yep. Bring It On Home to Me. That's one I, I missed and wish I hadn't. And the ultimate classic by one of my dad's favorites, Gene Autry's Home on the Range. Great show. Thanks, Dr. Uh, home on the Range. I can't believe I didn't get that in my honorable mentions. It's episode 34, Songs About Jobs and Professions. So Nick from Houston's back. And he's got a couple of short quips. He says, Sting once referred to paperback writer as Paul's best baseline. And then the other one he has is, Wichita lineman would have been on my list, so nine to five is perfectly acceptable. Thank you. Yeah, (laughs) Wichita lineman was actually the first song I thought of when we came up with this topic. Yeah, me too. Me too. But didn't make either of our top five lists. (laughs) Yeah, well, if it hadn't been straight country, it would have been number one There were a lot of songs on that list, so... So Chris F. is writing in about Genesis. We, had, we both agreed that Genesis was the band that spawned the most impressive solo careers of its members. And uh, he completely right. agreed. And he quoted a magazine. I think it's Hit Parade Plus or maybe it's Slate. I'm not quite sure he sent the link and I don't want to click it because I'm afraid I'll break something. But this is a quote quotation that he <laughs> sent me from the article. It says, when a band member leaves to go solo, usually it means the band's best days are over. That's what everybody thought when Peter Gabriel left Genesis in the 70s. Except not only did the band survive, mm-hmm. fronted by drummer turned singer Phil Collins, they got bigger. Then Collins went solo, except he didn't ditch Genesis. In fact, his success made them bigger. One of the definitive pop bands of the 1980s as Collins' monstrous drum sound took over pop music. By mid-decade, current and former members of Genesis, even side projects from its guitarists, were all competing head-to-head on the Billboard charts. On Hit Parade, we explore the naughty family tree of Genesis, the unlikeliest group ever to become a Hot 100 juggernaut. Thanks, Chris, for that quote. That was great. I wish I had found that. Yeah, in my that's own really good. Yeah. 
Although I wouldn't have had time to get it in in my minute, probably. <laughs> and I got one more from Bunny. That's my stepmother writing in from New York. And she says, I had the pleasure of hearing mm. and meeting Larry Adler, harmonica player extraordinaire. I mentioned that he played the harmonica solo. That's on right, Shape, yeah. On my heart. He was appearing at a long time gone club called The Cookery on 8th Street in Greenwich Village, and the audience was filled with musicians. The only person Mr. Adler introduced to stand up was George Burns. Quite a crowd. <laughs> I was the wow. only one. She says, I was the only one there I had never heard. Of. <laughs> he and Toots Thielmans, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, were masters of the instrument that anybody can play and stick in their pocket. Kudos to Sting for knowing Larry Adler and hiring him for his recording. And she goes on to say, thanks for turning me on to Shape of My Heart. So gorgeous. I agree. One of my favorite songs. Oh, great. So, that's all I got. That's all we've got for feedback. So like we said, send us stuff. Yeah. Podcast at rock-u.fr. And send us audio clips. Yeah, audio, audio, audio. Seth and I have a favor to ask. If you are enjoying Extra Credit, the Rock You podcast, please do us a solid and go ahead and share it with friends. Also, if you rate and review it on whatever podcasting platform you listen, it will get to other people and that'd be good. We want more people to hear about this stuff that we think is so cool. So share, rate, review, and thank you. All right, kids, we're back. It's time for 60 seconds of intellectual insanity. It's the one-minute matchup. All right, Matt, what are we doing today? Uh, I'm not sure intellectual is It might be too strong a word for us, but that's all right. We'll do our best. Seth, you had this idea that we should do a one-minute matchup on what is the worst cover ever. And man, that was a good one. I'm excited about this one. I cannot wait to hear what yours is, I think. Uh, me too. Uh, I'm not sure that we want to listen to any of these songs because I looked through a number of them, but okay. Who's going first? You want to go first? I think I went first last time. You ready to go? Yeah, I'm ready to go. Okay. See the stopwatch? Yes, I do. Okay, we're going to start you in three, two, one, go. Okay, so the worst cover ever is absolutely horrible. It's from a guy who's known as a bad actor, and this is some extremely bad acting. And I'm not sure if the Beatles were high when they did the original, but William, but the guy who did this must have been, or whoever decided to let him record this must have been high as a kite. It's William Shatner's cover of Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. If you haven't, if you haven't heard it, think about the boat ride in Willy Wonka with Captain Kirk screaming at you. Literally, the only saving grace about this song is how short it is. If he had tried to do the full-length version, I think I would have tried to claw my ears out of my skull. That's my choice. William Shatner's cover of Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds by the Beatles. You made it in 59 seconds. Well done. I was going to try and imitate Shatner's voice, but yeah, that I didn't think I could do that in the 60 seconds. Yeah, so, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be able to. Looking glass ties, and he, you know, he's, <laughs> he screams some of it. It's funny, but it's just so horribly awful. bad. Yes, it's absolutely awful. All right, I got to get queued up on the on your stopwatch. Can you I'm see ready. that? Yeah, I'm All ready. Right, your minute starts 
now? Well, there's two kinds of bad covers. There's the kind that are that don't do anything to approve, improve on the original song or reinterpret it in any way, like uh, it, um, No Doubt's cover of It's My Life, Lenny Kravitz's cover of American Woman, a bunch of Miley Cyrus covers like Jolene and Heart of Glass, uh, Three Little Birds by Maroon 5, Smash Mouth's I'm a Believer, etc., etc. But those are just mediocre if they're carried out competently. Then there's songs that try for something totally new, like Devo's cover of Satisfaction or Britney Spears' cover of Satisfaction or The Cure covering Purple Haze or even William Shatner or Robert Goulet covering pop songs. <laughs> Celine Dion doing Shook Me All Night Long. I know you don't like 9-11 as a joke by Duran Duran. There's a lot of no. examples like that. I usually end up liking them for their creativity. But I found a cover that's just the worst of the worst. It splits the difference. It reinterprets the song in such a horrible way that I can't listen to it and I'm running out of time. So it's Dancing in the Streets by Mick Jagger and David Bowie, which is just an atrocity of a song that these two geniuses should never, <laughs> ever have created. Yeah, right at a minute. <laughs> I got a lot more to say about it, but I ran out of time. <laughs> I was, well, you went yeah. through all the others. And you didn't, I know, I you felt, didn't like, it was worth, I felt like it was worth doing that. <laughs> can i do yeah. a, uh, can i do an unexpected uh one minute matchup honorable mention sure this is worth doing i, I, don't I, know. I won't even, i won't even time you on it nah, that's fine. i'm just it. gonna say like i don't think this counts because these aren't professional musicians most of them at least but i don't know if you remember in the early days of covid the movie star gal gadot i think that's how it's pronounced wonder the woman who plays wonder woman she yeah. did one of those early like handheld celebrity mashup recordings of the song imagine but yeah. nobody on the song can sing. Even Nora Jones doesn't sing well on this cover. It's just horrible. <laughs> like, it jumps around from key to key. There is no tempo. And there's a really hilarious guy on on YouTube who tries to interpret what's going on. It's like, oh, oh, they changed to C sharp minor on that one. Oh, they, wait a second. <laughs> it's up a major third now. It's just disastrous. And it was so tone deaf, literally and also figuratively, because nobody wanted to hear what movie stars thought about COVID six days into the quarantine. So I feel like I should have yeah. mentioned that one too but i gave him a pass not being <laughs> recording artists so giving people a pass for not being recording artists is the reason why i left this one off mm -hmm. if you get on youtube and you look up like worst cover ever there is a video of this group that's playing the final countdown by europe mm -hmm. and it's horrifically bad mm -hmm. and they're on a stage and there's like maybe five people that you can see in the audience of those five people. I think three of them are under the age of 10 <laughs> and they're running around in front of the stage. And it's absolutely, it's so bad. It's just a train wreck and you keep watching the video. So, you know, if you, if you want to go look worst cover ever, the final countdown, that should pull it straight up on YouTube and I, it's got a ridiculous amount of views. I would say we'll <laughs> include a link in the show notes, but you know what? We're going to do you a favor. We're not going to do that. Right. Just don't. <laughs> So was there something on this podcast that you wanted to talk to us about? <laughs> Did we get something wrong? Do you not agree with some of the stuff that we said? Then you need to email us at podcast at rock-u.fr. Extra credit, the Rock You podcast is brought to you with support from our partners at Big Pebble Records. Big Pebble Records is your one-stop shop for 
all music production in Paris. Everything from the composition to the creative side, to the recording and engineering, to the mixing and mastering, to the distribution and publication and publicity. Check them out at www.bigpebblerecords.com. And of course, you will hear lots of Rock You musicians on that label. Extra Credit, the Rock You podcast, is a production of Rock You. Expertly engineered and recorded by my good friend Seth Hinkley. And our theme music is written and produced by Tom Walters. Rock You is a nonprofit association, Loi 1901, and we'll see you next time. 